Welcome to On Attachment, a place to learn about how attachment shapes the way we experience dating, love, and relationships. I'm your host, relationship coach and attachment expert, Stephanie Rigg, and I'm really glad you're here. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of On Attachment. So today we're going to be talking all about anxious attachment, conflict, and communication. I think that if you're listening to this and you're an anxiously attached person, you will know from experience that communication can be really hard in relationships and conflict in particular is really, really challenging, um, bordering on, you know, panic inducing or distressing. Um, and so in this episode, I'm really going to be unpacking, you know, why that is, what's sort of going on, um, underneath the hood for anxiously attached people when it comes to conflict and communication of needs in relationship, you know, how that cycle can sort of play out and how you can be your own worst enemy, um, and what to do about it. So hopefully you'll walk away from this, you know, having not only greater self-awareness, but some actionable tools on how to communicate uh, more proactively and, you know, how you can voice your needs um, and also sort of manage your expectations around other people meeting your needs um, in a way that is ultimately more supportive to your relationship and hopefully can avoid some of those nasty conflicts that can arise when, you know, we leave things too long and then it all blows up. Before I dive into that, I just want to let you all know that um, I am holding a live masterclass on the 3rd of August um, called Navigating Anxious Avoidant Relationships. It is going to be 90 minutes. Um, It's really going to do a deep dive into, you know, the anxious avoidant trap being relationships between an anxious and an avoidant person and what that can look like. Um, And really, hopefully with a view to fostering greater understanding on both sides. So for the anxious person, understanding the avoidant point of view rather than demonizing for the avoidant person, cultivating greater compassion for your anxious partner rather than just seeing them as, you know, demanding, overbearing, threatening, uh, learning how to find a middle ground that, you know, doesn't make either of you wrong um, and really helps you to feel like you're on the same team and working towards a common goal, which is, you know, a happier, healthier, more secure relationship. Um, So it's a really great one um, and quite a unique one compared to some of my other offerings that are more, you know, targeted towards anxiously attached people. This one is a really great one to do with your partner, um, to really invite them into the conversation and the learning experience. Um, And yeah, hopefully, I think sometimes it's easier to hear it from a third party rather than, you know, one person trying to convince the other to do the work. So Um, definitely check that out. There's a link in the show notes uh, if you're interested in coming along. Um, And of course, the recording will be made available if you're unable to join live and you'll have lifetime access to that. Okay, let's dive into anxious attachment, conflict and communication. So I think it's important to set the scene here, right? For anxiously attached people, the relationship comes first, almost always. Um, the health of the relationship is the utmost priority, uh, keeping things stable, uh, and, you know, making sure that everything feels okay between you, making sure that your partner is happy. All of these behaviors and preferences stem from this fundamental need 
for the relationship to feel secure, which obviously links back to the, you know, whole fear of abandonment, um, that fear that something bad is going to happen in the relationship um, and that you won't be okay if the relationship isn't there and if the relationship isn't okay. So with that as the starting point, any threat to the relationship feels very distressing, right? And so when that is your starting point, the relationship is essentially um, synonymous with safety, right? Um, And that's really like at the heart of anxious attachment is that I don't know how to feel safe without you. I don't know how to self-soothe, to self-source a sense of being okay in the world. I only know how to like tether to you um, and for that to be my source of safety. So we see this constant tussle between that need, the need for safety, which we all have, but for anxious people looks like needing to be in a relationship and needing to be close to their partner and all of the other needs of the anxiously attached person, right? So needing to feel connected, needing to feel seen, to feel understood, um, to feel supported, to feel a sense of belonging and inclusion, um, you know, and on and on and on. There's, you know, millions of, maybe not millions, but there's lots of relationship needs, right? And so for the anxious person, there is this tussle between all of these other things that I need um, and this, you know, paramount need to feel safe, which I get from being in the relationship and the relationship feeling okay. So what we see a lot of the time is that this interfaces with the uh, chronic people-pleasing, you know, peacekeeping behaviours of the anxiously attached person. So because the anxious person fears abandonment, they often have stories that, you know, to ask for something means they're needy and going to be rejected you know, that to set a boundary means that people won't like them or won't won't accept them and they'll walk away. So a lot of the time the anxious person, you know, is boundaryless and doesn't tend to express their needs and preferences very much um, because they tend to defer to others, others' comfort, others' boundaries, others' preferences um, because of all these stories around what it would mean for them to ask for anything to assert themselves, to take up space, right? It's this sense of like, so long as you're happy, I'm happy. So long as you're okay, I'm okay. Um, But unfortunately that's just not true, right? It might feel like that, uh, but you do actually have all of these needs of your own. um, And it's an unsustainable strategy to be constantly, um, you know, chronically to extreme degrees deferring to other people. So how does this play out? Um, I think that one of the ways that anxiously attached people really get themselves into trouble here is that they tend not to be very direct in their communication of needs, um, of requests, of concerns, Um, but that tends to be coupled with unrealistic expectations of their partner, not only of um, you know, their partner's behavior, but like of the relationship. So, you know, I expect you to prioritize the relationship above all else in the same way that I do. I expect you to know what I need and give it to me without me having to ask. If you really cared about me, you would just do that. Or if you really cared about me, you would know that I wanted you to do this, right? Like these kinds of stories that are feel very true for the anxious person, but 
let me tell you, they're not fair or realistic expectations of another person or a relationship and ultimately don't really get you any closer to what you want and actually just cause a lot of pain and suffering, right? Um, So how does this interface then with conflict and communication? The anxious person tends not to be very proactive about voicing their needs, but at the same time has these unrealistic expectations. So when those needs that they haven't voiced are not met, um, it becomes this like mounting hurt and pressure and resentment under the surface, right? Um, And so they've got this one drive over here, which is I can't ask for anything. I can't rock the boat. I can't cause a fuss um, because this person will leave me. But also all of my needs are going unmet because I'm not asking for anything. Um, And I'm having this building up resentment and all these stories and my partner doesn't care and that they don't love me and, you know, that I'm the one doing all the work and I'm the caring one and I'm always giving and I'm always thinking about you and you never do this to me, right? really common among anxiously attached people. Um, and so it's like, I'm just going to, you know, bury it, bury it, bury it because I don't want to, you know, have a big fight because conflict scares me. But then ultimately it reaches sort of boiling point and there's a rupture. You know, there will be some sort of, you know, moment where it all comes to a head Um, And that can be something really disproportionate, but because you're under increasing amounts of stress, um, you know, emotional tension from all of the unsaid things um, and, and, you know, exacerbated by the painful stories you're telling yourself that your partner doesn't care, they don't love you. And, um, you know, they, all of these things, they're selfish, um, they're heartless, whatever you might be saying to yourself. Um, you know, then every time they do something, you take it as evidence of those stories that you're telling yourself. Um, and so it all comes to a head and there'll be a big rupture. And usually the anxious person, you know, they swing from one end of the pendulum, which is like, I'll just say nothing and put on a smile and I'll be fine so long as you're fine. And then it goes to the other extreme, which is I am so distressed and I'm inconsolable and I'm not just upset about the one thing that you did today, I'm upset about this shopping list of other things. And I'm, you know, really, really worked up and really overwhelmed um, because I'm telling myself that all of this means you don't care about me or love me. Um, And that's when all of the protest behaviors of the anxious person can come out, you know, like really, really getting very activated. They might get highly um, critical, start throwing hand grenades, metaphorically, obviously, at their partner to try and get a response and to try and get reassurance, you know, to try and get their partner to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Of course I care. Of course I love you. I'm so sorry that you're feeling this way. I won't do it. I won't do it again. And like just, you know, wrapping them all up in, in reassurance. Um, But what often happens, and this is particularly true if your partner is more avoidant leaning, uh, is that, you know, they, they don't respond like that because, from where they've been sitting, there's no, there's no problem, right? It's calm seas because you haven't been expressing it. And so then it's this huge tsunami, this torrent of criticism and complaints um, that to them, from their perspective, comes out of nowhere um, and seems totally unreasonable and totally unjustified, totally disproportionate to what's going on. And, you know, I think it's a pretty reliable 
um, rule of relationships, romantic or otherwise, that when you start attacking someone, they defend themselves. Um, and so unless you've got a very, very secure partner who is able to, you know, look at that and go, okay, what's actually going on here? Cause you seem to be really worked up and upset. And I suspect this isn't all about what's happening right here in this moment. Do you want to talk about it? Um, that would be the ideal response, but nine times out of 10, you're going to get someone go like, whoa, what's wrong with you and get defensive and not really engage. Right. And so the conflict kind of escalates because most people, when uh, met with that, they will withdraw. Um, they'll pull away, they'll get defensive, they'll shut down. And of course, for the anxious person, all that leads to is them upping the ante, right? Because then their fear comes up of, see, you're abandoning me in this moment when I need you most, when I'm so upset, I'm so distressed, you're pulling away. That's the last thing I need from you. I need you to tell me that everything's okay and you're doing the opposite of that. Um, And so that can feel very, very distressing, right? The anxious person will usually then just increase their efforts to connect via conflict. Um, So they might get, you know, more critical or say something really um, with a lot of venom to just try and get a response and to try and get the partner to engage when they're otherwise shutting down or withdrawing. Um, And obviously this isn't a very nice dynamic if you've experienced it. um, And a lot of, a lot of you will have, I know I certainly have, it feels very out of control, right? Um, And you kind of know that it's not productive, but also you don't feel like you have any other tools at your disposal. So suffice it to say, we want to avoid that as much as possible. Um, And, you know, for the anxious person, what tends to happen is they get so distressed um, by that situation, particularly if their partner starts to pull away, um, that all of a sudden, you know, their body goes, wait a second, the relationship's threatened because this person's, you know, either leaving the room or leaving the house or just not engaging. Um, and that that tussle that I spoke to earlier, the the sort of balancing act between my need for the relationship to be okay and all my other needs, suddenly this one trumps, right? The the relationship being okay becomes a number one priority um, and all the alarm bells go, okay, we need to repair quickly because all of those other things don't seem so important anymore because I'm worried that this person's going to leave me. And so the anxious person will often then try and do whatever they can to just smooth things over and restore some semblance of harmony so that they are, you know, able to soothe those fears of abandonment that ultimately trump everything else. Um, and will override, you know, oh, I don't feel like you're supporting me or I don't feel like you, you know, pay enough attention to me or we don't spend enough quality time together. All of these sort of second order concerns for the anxious person, um, they fall away. And the number one overwhelming priority becomes restoring peace. Um, and unfortunately that usually comes at the expense of not actually resolving the underlying issues. Um, and it's like band-aiding things together, just patching it up, uh, without ever actually resolving the issues because you've not engaged in a productive conversation. So what do we do with all of this? Um, that probably sounds like not a very good prognosis. And I think that would be fair to say that, uh, that kind of conflict pattern is very damaging to relationships and, you know, eventually will usually end in in the relationship falling apart. Uh, Whether you stay together or not, you will not be happy, you will not be connected um, because there's so much fear and threat baked into that dynamic 
that you can't, it's not sustainable, right? Or desirable, frankly. So I think, you know, both people have to take responsibility here. Um, and I should say in the, the live masterclass that I'm running that I mentioned earlier, I'm going to go into this in a lot more detail in terms of the tools and strategies on both sides that you can be using um, to really nip this in the bud and to combat this. But I think for the anxious person, it's very, very important that you take some responsibility for identifying your own needs and voicing them proactively right? And I get that that feels really edgy, right? That doesn't feel comfortable at all because that looming fear of abandonment and rejection, that's going to, that voice inside you is going to say like, we can't, we can't be difficult. We can't be too much because they'll leave us. We have to be easy. We have to be low maintenance. Um, If we make this person's life more difficult, they will leave us, right? Um, And what I would put to you is that that's probably not true, Um, And if it is true, then that's not the kind of relationship that you want to be in uh, because secure relationships are about healthy interdependency, right? You both, you know, are responsive to, attuned to, um, and, you know, interested in each other's inner world and each other's needs. So it's really important for you to start identifying your needs and, you know, granted, that's not an easy thing to do for a lot of anxious people because they're so used to, you know, sidestepping their own needs that they don't actually know what they are a lot of the time. But, you know, if you do find it hard to identify what your needs are, a really good starting point is to look uh, underneath your complaints. So the things that you often complain about, uh, usually at the heart of that is is your need. So if you're complaining that your partner is always late Maybe you have a need for, you know, consistency and reliability. Uh, If you're complaining that your partner's always on their phone, you might be looking for a need for, you know, connection, things like that. So you see you sort of flip the complaint or, or dig a little under the surface and you'll get to the need. And getting really comfortable with identifying those needs, validating yourself for having needs because we all do, whether or not we voice them, we've all got needs. Um, So that's perfectly normal. It doesn't mean anything about you. And then voicing them and, you know, not voicing them in a way that is, you know, demanding, saying you have to meet my needs, you never do this, but a request saying, I would really appreciate this, Um, you know, getting really specific. Would you be open to that? It would mean a lot to me. And, you know, you have to be prepared for the possibility that you might get some pushback, right? Because again, it's interdependency is about you know, meeting in the middle, it's about compromise. There has to be a level of flexibility there on both sides so that you can find a rhythm and a balance that works in your relationship. And so I think in addition to that, asking your partner for the things that you need, for an anxious person, part of the task of becoming more secure is learning how to meet some of those needs yourself or looking outside of the relationship because again, for the anxious person, where we started was the relationship comes first. The relationship kind of takes up your whole field of vision. And part of your growth edge and your work is to expand your field of vision, to take in other things and to build out the pillars of your life uh, so that the relationship is not so all-encompassing that it's not taking up all of your emotional energy such that, you know, you're a more resilient, well-rounded person. Uh, And in so doing, you're taking some of the pressure off that relationship to 
to meet all of your needs, right, uh, which will be in service to you, to your partner and the relationship. So I hope that this has been helpful in sort of giving you a bit of a sense of the landscape uh, where you can come unstuck in terms of conflict and communication as an anxious person um, and, you know, a bit of a, a feel for the path forward. So I really hope that that's been useful. As I said, if this has resonated with you, I really, really encourage you to sign up for the masterclass. Uh, the link is in the show notes. It's going to be really great. I'm looking forward to it and uh, I hope to see as many of you there as possible. But if not, uh, I will see you guys again soon. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for joining me for this episode of On Attachment. If you want to go deeper on all things attachment, love and relationships, you can find me on Instagram at stephanie underscore underscore rig or at stephanierig.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review and a five-star rating. It really does help so much. Thanks again for being here and I hope to see you again soon.